Uh, Would you open to Luke 18, please? We'll be reading from that passage. This weekend I was at uh, Ethan and Brian's reception at the Becks, and uh, everyone prayed for them, came together and laid hands on them and prayed for them. And as we were praying, I just thought, what a blessing a Christian heritage is. And uh, here, here these two young men are on fire for God and being launched from a, uh, a place of richness in the faith, richness in the gospel, richness in the scriptures. And uh, it made me grateful that God has, has saved me. Um, I didn't have that. Uh, and uh, kind of delivered from a bunch of communists, actually. My um, Laura's reading a book that uh, is, a, is a bunch of memoirs of um, my dad's sister, who was the wife of the, uh, I'm not sure of the title, but the head of economics for JFK. And um, she would say things like, it was a wonderful inauguration, except the minister droned on and on. Even disparaged Billy Graham at one point in the book, and so I'm just grateful for what God has done for me, and what God has done for you. Hallelujah! It's fun when your heritage brushes with fame, and uh, on Laura's side of the family, um, there's this letter from Mamie Eisenhower to Laura's grandmother, and it's about fudge. And she says, my dear Mrs. Van Zant, uh, Mr. Rossi invited me to lunch with him at the Department of Commerce the other day. After lunch, he offered me a piece of fudge baked by your using my recipe, um, by you using my recipe. I must confess that my fudge never came out so well, even though the recipe is mine. When Ike and I move out of our present quarters, and then in parentheses she says, we're being forced to vacate by some unseemly character. (laughs) That was JFK. And get settled at our new home in Gettysburg, you must pay me a visit and show me exactly how you blend the ingredients. I would be most appreciative. Fudgingly yours, Mamie. Isn't that beautiful? Probably worth some money. None of you better steal this. Um, but this church also has a rich heritage, doesn't it? And one of the one of the things that is in our heritage is grappling with issues of faith, grappling grappling with faith itself, and how to properly understand faith and some of the abuses of faith. Some of you are here because. You went through a chapter in your life where you experienced abuses of faith. And, um, but I feel the Lord directing us to look at this issue of faith again and afresh. And uh, I believe he has some, some words for us in this arena. So let's read Luke 18, 1 through 8. It's a familiar parable about the woman and the judge. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. How many are grateful for that verse right there? We ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, 
There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect man, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. And then this haunting line. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The title of this message is, Will He Find Faith in Us? Will He Find Faith in Us? Now, in the King James Version, this this parable is called the the parable of the importune widow. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. If you change it into an adjective, uh, according to my dictionary, it becomes, the T becomes like a CH, importunate, importunate widow. Uh, We have an important, excuse me, before I go there, importune means to press or urge with troublesome persistence. Troublesome persistence. Isn't that great? Well, we have an importune person in my home. Let me paint the scene for you. Laura and I have um, recliners with a, a little table in between with a lamp on it in our bedroom. And because Laura has had double knee replacement surgery, she's uh, last many weeks uh, been in one of those chairs with her leg propped up on pillows with a wrap with an ice machine, icing her knee. And uh, I'll come in from the yard uh, working, uh, um, exhausted, and uh, my back hurts, and seems like these days everything hurts. And I'll plop down in that chair and just kind of melt into it. You know what I mean? That feeling of just, oh, I'm here in my chair. And I'll have closed the door, but then I'll hear these little legs stiff-legging it across the kitchen floor and kind of half-smashing, half-knocking on our bedroom door. And I can just picture this little pudgy hand reaching up to the doorknob, and I can hear the doorknob being fiddled with, but, but not quite the ability to open it. And Laura's grandmother, grandmotherly name is Lola. That's what all the grandkids call her. And so, sure enough, you know, I close my eyes and I think, okay, Jim, be strong. Be strong. And, and, but I hear this little 22-year-old, 22-month-old voice going, going, Lola, Lola, Lola. And I'm sitting there with my eyes closed thinking, be strong. Don't look at Laura, Jim. Don't look at Laura. But then I'll, I'll, I'll look at her and she'll go, oh, Jim, let her in. And I crumble. And so I have to get up, back hurt, and open the door. You know, Lily has no idea that no one will come to the door. I don't think she's ever come to the door and not gotten in. And so here's this perfect picture of the unrighteous judge 
and um, the one who ever lives to make intercession for Lily, sitting next to me, and a picture of us knocking at the door. Lola, 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 certain that we'll get in. You know, there's a, an example in the book of Genesis, chapter 18, where Abraham is importune with God about Sodom and the righteous people in Sodom. He marches God down from, if there are 50 righteous, would you save uh, the city? Yes, I would. In fact, let's read it together. But you'll see that he goes from 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10 in this passage. Starting in the middle of verse 22, Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. What a nice way to say 45. He's a diplomat, isn't he? Suppose the 50 are lacking five. Wilt thou destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy, destroy it if I find 45 there. See, the Lord did the math, and he was, he was pointing out to Abraham, I know what you're saying. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I won't destroy it on account of the 20. Then Abraham said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. Interestingly, I, I think I remember that this passage was the passage by which uh, the Jews decided how many people you needed to have a synagogue, which was 10. Uh, just an interesting parenthesis there. So here's an example, though, of Abraham uh, being importuned, being doggedly persistent. And um, I want to remind you in any case that Jesus calls us to have faith in God, doesn't he? Over and over in the New Testament, Jesus is exhorting and chiding and admiring us to have faith. Let's look at a few of these passages. He was ever... Um, chiding his disciples to have faith. To the disciples in the boat, he said, where is your faith? Or as Tom Lotz says, why are you freaking out? 
to Peter in Matthew 14.31. He said, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? That was when Peter was walking on the water and started to sink. In Matthew 6.18, the disciples are... They cross a lake, I believe, and they realize they haven't brought any bread. Jesus hears them muttering and about the bread, and he, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then the disciples really get anxious because they think he's mad at them that they haven't brought bread. And he says, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread, you men of little faith? And then in Matthew 17, 20, the disciples are asking him, why couldn't we cast the demon out of this boy? And he says, because of the littleness of your faith. Jesus was chiding his disciples sometimes to have more faith. But he also admired faith when he found it, didn't he? You remember the um, centurion servant who said, uh, I'm a man under authority. You just give the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. The Canaanite woman who had the demon-possessed daughter, she said, when Jesus said, uh, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs, her answer was so uh, clever and so expressed such faith when she said, even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the master's table, that he said, oh woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. The Samaritan leper who returned, the only one of the ten that turned back to, to glorify God with a loud voice, Jesus said, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. We could cite other cases, blind Bartimaeus and um, others who would yell to him from the road until he would stop and turn, even if the disciples rebuked them. And then at times Jesus was just very direct, like in John 6.29, when they said, what, what do we need to be doing to, to be doing the work of God? And he said, the work of God is to believe in the one whom God has sent. He also said in Mark 11.22, he just said flatly, have faith in God. Jesus is calling us to have faith. And yet, as we press into faith, it becomes kind of a, a complex reality, doesn't it? We all know that, that as you press into faith, it becomes a complex reality. And part of the heritage of this church is uh, a man of God who's since gone on to be with the Lord, Dr. Charles Farah. He wrote this book, From the Pinnacle of the Temple. How many of you have read this book? If, if you in your Christian life have not read this book, I would highly recommend it. Um, he, he, Chuck finds seven kinds of faith in the New Testament. And I want to offer those to you this morning uh, for your own um, pondering and, and uh, wrestling with faith. The first kind of faith is intellectual faith. The second is temporary faith. The third is saving or justifying faith. The fourth is faith in God. The fifth is faith of God. The sixth is fruit faith. And the seventh is ministry faith. Let me just repeat those. I see some of you frantically writing. Intellectual faith, number one. Temporary faith, number two. 
saving or justifying faith, number three. Faith in God, number four. The faith of God, number five. Fruit faith, number six. And ministry faith, number seven. Let's take a look at each one of these, and if you didn't catch them all, you'll be able to fill in the gaps as we, as we work through these seven kinds of faith. The first kind of faith is intellectual faith. This is a general faith that the Christian gospel is true, that the church's doctrine is satisfying to this individual. He believes in the creeds. He may, he or she may even have been baptized and identify themselves as a Christian, yet it is sub-biblical because it does not command the radical faith response that Jesus and the disciples demanded. I remember being on the a street in Lake Placid, New York, and seeing a, a woman coming with a walker, and I wanted to pray for her and uh, for her healing. And when I asked her if she was a Christian, she looked kind of um, angry that I would ask her that, and she said, I am a Methodist, you know? And um, I, I, I don't want to say she was a nominal Christian or a denominational Christian rather than a true Christian, but her response would seem to, I, I wish her response had simply been, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, but this is, uh, this is what this intellectual faith can sometimes look like. Intellectual faith, even the demons have intellectual faith. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and shudder. They're completely orthodox in their beliefs. Uh, they know the score. Intellectual faith, then, is simply a faith that has not made connection with the real power in Jesus Christ. That famous baseball preacher who... Uh, Billy Sunday, uh, he, he would rail that being born in the church no more makes you into a Christian than being born in an airplane factory turns you into a 747. Intellectual faith is a starting place, but it's not enough. The second type of faith is temporary faith. This is the faith that's talked about in the parable of the seed and the sower. It's the the rocky so it's the seed that falls on the rocky soil. Let's look at that together. Matthew 13. We'll actually just look at the place where Jesus is explaining the parable of the seeds to his disciples in verses 20 and 21. He says, and the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is seed on rocky soil. It springs up. It has the intellectual ascent behind it, and, there, and it adds the emotional response, but there's still something lacking, isn't there? It's the surrender of our hard, impenetrable will. That's the key. Will your will surrender to Jesus Christ? The hard, impenetrable ego 
to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus calls this having no firm root in itself. It's an altar call kind of faith, but there is no daily Lordship. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? The difference between a gospel that is understood to supply man's need, but not a gospel that costs a man everything. That's the difference. Some would say that's the greatest sickness in the church today. Not understanding that difference. The third type of faith is saving faith. This is where there's intellectual assent with the doctrines of the church. There's an emotional response uh, to those doctrines. And there's also a surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Chuck writes, a Christian by definition is one who has repented of his sins and submitted to the lordship of Christ. He says it has four characteristics. First of all, you do things that in the natural you wouldn't do. How many of you as Christians have done things in the natural that as, uh, or done things that in the natural you would not have done had Christ not entered? Uh, being a fool for Christ. We reflect in our behavior Jesus' attitude, not my will, but thy will be done. The second characteristic is it perseveres through trials. You remember Paul, excuse me, Peter, Jesus said to him, Satan has demanded that he sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And after you have come through the trial, turn and strengthen your brothers. Turn and strengthen your brothers. Real faith uh, perseveres through trials. Third, a, a third characteristic is saving faith is strengthened rather than destroyed by trials. You remember James um, 1, verses 2 through 4. Let me read it to you. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then the final characteristic, Dr. Ferris says, is that a person who has saving or justifying faith can um, confess the lordship of Christ without a quibble. Without a quibble, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess in your heart, uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that uh, Christ, uh, I can't quote it right now, I'm going to turn to it, unless one of you Bible boys or gospel girls wants to quote it, that would be really cool. Anybody got it? I know some of you can recite it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So saving faith is where the intellect, the emotions, and the will all line up and surrender to Jesus Christ. The fourth type of faith is faith in God. And this is the faith we exercise as we struggle to believe God for miracles, uh, for 
our own perseverance, uh, for the things we cry out to God for. This is the faith we exercise to see things transpire. It's the Lord I believe, help my unbelief struggle that we all face. We look forward to what God is going to do. We expect the Lord to heal or answer our prayer. Our confession is strong. The God of miracles is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a, it's a spiritual muscle that we exercise, hopefully achieving greater and greater levels of faith as we walk with God. But there's something even here that is lacking. This is what Dr. Farah calls the rhema word or the, 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 the sure word in that particular situation that you're praying for. President Roberts used to say, I know that I know that I know that I know. He's, this is the, the part of faith in God that is lacking. You're, you're believing on God's general revelation, his word, uh, experiences of the past, but you don't have a specific word that your prayer will be answered in the way that you're believing. God will. There's no word that God will necessarily heal in this instance. There's no absolutely knowing in the now. I have an example of this. Uh, a few nights ago, Esther and Brian were about to go to bed, and they were taking Elias. Elias is about four and a half months old. And uh, Elias should be sleeping through the night by now, but he, he was uh, extremely happy during the day. But at night, they said he became, what, a terror, a monster? Uh, he just, you know, I, I could hear him crying from downstairs, and it sounded like he was angry to me. I don't know. But anyway, I just felt prompted that we should gather around Elias and pray. And so we just offered a brief prayer to God. We asked him to give us the gift of faith and believe this. And guess what? He's sleeping like a baby. He's sleeping like a baby now. So we just, we just uh, decided to pray instead of accept things the way they are. And uh, this is part of what I think the Lord wants to encourage us to do. That certain knowledge in the specific thing being prayed for is the fifth kind of faith, called the faith of God. And uh, Chuck uses Galatians 2.20 to talk about this type of faith. Some of you may uh, remember this passage. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself for me. Let me read to you what Dr. Ferris says about that passage. He says, Paul is not expressing here how he manages by faith to cling on to Christ despite the ups and downs of life but how Christ's faith holds him and how the faith he lives by is really Christ's own faith, which is both strong and secure. Pay attention to this line. It isn't our weak 
faith that saves us, but Christ's strong faith on which we rely. This interpretation of Galatians 2.20 is further borne out by the context where Christ, not Paul, is the focus of attention. Christ lives in him. Christ's faith holds him. Christ loves him. And Christ gave himself for him. In the Greek language, this is the subjective genitive. It's not our faith in God that we're relying on. It's God's faith that he has deposited in us that we rely on. You, you sense the difference? Not, not faith in God, but the faith of God inside of us. That's the faith of God. This is also what I believe 2 Corinthians 5.14 is talking about, where it says, for the love of God controls us. It's not my love for God that controls me. It's God's love within me that controls me. This is like um, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Let me turn there so I get it right. Where uh, Jeremiah says, But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart his word becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. This is the best way to understand Mark 11.22, have faith in God. Christ had just withered the fig tree, And he says, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and believe in your heart that it will be done, it it will be done. This is the faith of God. That's a faith that's a miraculous, supernatural event where God drops it into your heart. And then you know that you know that you know. It's not the kind of faith that you can work up and expect to walk in every day of your life. It's a faith that is the gift of God. It's the kind of faith George Mueller had for orphans. He said later in his life, it took no more faith to trust God for 2,000 orphans than it took for the first few. It is a gift of God dropped into the center of our hearts, not one we can muster up, but a calm and unruffled and certain faith of God. The sixth type of faith is fruit faith. And uh, this is from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I know many of you could recite this from your Bible Bowl or Gospel Girl days. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. <laughs> I thought there were a few more. No. Against such, there is no law. This type of faith is faithfulness, fidelity, staying power, a work of the Spirit in our lives. It's the faith that has survived the death of a loved one, Dr. Farrow writes, the desertion of a mate, the dereliction of children, the ingratitude of friends, the isolation of suffering, and even one's disappointments in God, while still witnessing its fidelity to the living God. This is the Job kind of faith where he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This has been called though and yet kind of faith. 
or the but-if-not kind of faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, but if not, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. How many of you want that kind of faith? I want that kind of faith. But if not, though and yet, and yet exercising faith as we go through life. This is a faith that fixes itself upon God himself and not on what he does or doesn't do. This is the kind of faith I want. And then the last one is ministry faith. This is outlined in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I want you to note that in verse 3, that it says, the last line, that each of us has been allotted a measure of faith. And then in verse 6, that since we have different gifts, we are to exercise them accordingly for the building up of the body of Christ. And in the exercising, what do we find? We find an apprehension of anointing in that, in that area. For example, uh, my son Nathaniel recommended a book to me that I'm really enjoying called Outliers by Malcolm Caldwell. And uh, in that book, one of the things he talks about is the 10,000 hour principle. And the, what it is, is it's, it's um, the reality that social researchers have discovered that it takes about 10,000 hours to become world class, a, a world class expert at anything. So if you want to be a world class violinist, you need to spend about 10,000 hours. His point is, is that it's not nearly, we, we think it's a gift or a natural skill. And he's saying, yes, there's some of that. But if you take that whole group of people who have natural skills or a certain aptitude on the violin, it's the ones who work harder and get past that 10,000 hours that are the ones that become world-renowned. Um, if you do the math, it's about, if you work uh, five days a week, eight hours a day at something, for five years, 
at that same thing for five years. That's about 10,000 hours. And so, um, you know, I began to kind of connect things, like, like Gordon going overseas, for example. And why, why does the anointing grow? Uh, part of that is because of this, it, it's the land that he's walking out. It's like Joshua, the book of Joshua in chapter 1, where the Lord says, where your feet trod, this is the land that I'm going to give you. Joshua couldn't just sit under a tree and say, well, thanks, Lord, this is wonderful. No, he had to walk it out. And so, uh, anyway, I've been thinking of that idea, or why, does, why, does, why do I feel an increasing authority in, in, in counseling couples. It's because, it's because I'm doing it more and more and more and more. Why does Joel have authority and anointing overseas? Because he's, he's been to so many countries of the world. And so ministry faith is perhaps not as magical as maybe it seems. Um, it's, it's, to a large extent, Caldwell argues, a matter of how hard you pursue it, how many hours you have under your belt. So let me just repeat these, these uh, seven types of faith, and then I want to share with you what I think the Lord is saying specifically. Intellectual faith, temporary faith, saving or justifying faith where you're Intellect and your emotions and your will are all surrendered to Christ. Faith in God, that's the muscle, the faith muscle that we exercise every day. The faith of God, those times where his supernatural faith is dropped into your heart and you know the healing is there, the answer is there, what's coming. Fruit faith, which is that though and yet faith or but if not faith and then ministry faith that needs to be walked out and apprehended. What I hear the Lord saying to me this morning for you is this, that it's a time for faith. That it's a time to exercise our faith. And specifically, the two areas that I feel uh, a prompting to focus in on are it's the everyday faith in God kind of faith, where we go to God first, and we, we go to God persistently. Um, you know, it's so easy to pray a long time for something and not see anything happening, and so you, you kind of adopt a fatalistic position, whatever will be, will be, because it just takes too much energy to keep that persistent prayer effort going. And I feel like the Lord is saying, some of us need to repent. Some of us need to decide again to pick up that cross of intercession for that thing that we're believing for. It might be in regards to ourselves. It might be in regards to someone else. So faith in God. And the second one is that, the second area is that fruit faith. Maybe you want to have that faith that says whether the answer comes or not, 
you will find me, Lord, on my knees asking you for that thing. Um, I had this idea that as I was preparing this message, that even more important than seeing the specific need answered is that the Lord find faith in me. And so, continuing to ask for that thing and to continue to believe God and to continue to struggle for that sin habit to be overcome or whatever it is you're praying for may be more important than the need even being answered to you. I think it is to me. I think I want God to find faith in me. And I think faith is evidenced as much by me continuing to persistently pray as it is by receiving the answer. Amen? That's just as much evidence that I believe. Maybe more than if the answer comes the way I expect it to come. I want God to find faith in me when he comes. Let's say he comes tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock. Will he find you believing that thing that you've been asking him for and crying out to him for it? Or will he find you in kind of a quesera, sarah mentality? That, man, I prayed for that. The Lord knows. Uh, whatever will be, will be. And... Uh, I've got better things to do with my time. Thank you very much. No, we don't want to be there, do we? At 2 o'clock tomorrow. I'd like you to bow your heads and think about what you're believing God for these days. I wrote down about 10 things to uh, spark perhaps your thinking. Maybe you have a fear of the future. Maybe you're transitioning from graduating from high school to college and you're about to head off to a new school or maybe you're about to retire or something. There's a fear, perhaps, of the future that you need to believe God. It's a time for faith. Maybe you have a new ministry started and you need faith to walk out the land. Will he find faith in you? Maybe you're struggling with a will to go on. I know many times in life we're, we're hit with such a loss of someone we love or, or such a loss that there's just a struggle for the will to go on, to put one foot in front of the other. It's a time to believe for motivation to return. Maybe there are unwanted negative thoughts tearing you down. Maybe you're being tormented by thoughts of suicide or whatever. It's a time for faith. Amen? It's a time for faith. Maybe, maybe you feel or sense the enemy is sowing division in your relationships. Will he find faith in you? Maybe you've been waiting for God a long time in some area. Thank God that Jesus knew it would feel that way to us and he gave us this parable to keep on praying and not lose heart. 
Maybe you're wanting to work more effectively in the spiritual gifts as, as Gordon exhorted us to this morning. Let him find faith in us. Maybe you're believing God for a prodigal child to return to the Lord. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Don't throw up your hands. Keep on praying. Let God find faith in you when He returns. Maybe you need a job or increased finances. May He find faith in you when He returns. Maybe there's an unsaved family member who's stubborn to believe. May He find faith in us. Maybe you need a physical healing and you've just You've just given up and stopped praying. Uh, you know, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You can search it out in prayer as well as what science has to offer. Keep on praying. Keep on praying for that physical healing. Maybe you need an answer to some question that's been bothering you. Our persistently asking is our faith expressed. So I say, let's cry out, He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Let's stand resolutely with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, but if not, O King, I will not bow and worship something that is not the living God. May He find faith in us. I want you to raise your hand to the Lord if there's something you're believing Him for and uh, you want to say, God, I, I want to reach out in faith. I want to keep on praying. I want to take this lesson into my life. And I want to stay in faith. When you return, I want you to find me in faith. I want to be found with the answer in hand or waiting on my knees for the answer. But in any case, believing in you and trusting in you. Raise your hand if you want to make a statement of faith to the Lord as I close out with Habakkuk. 3.17-19 Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fruits produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, though yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, for the Lord God is my strength, and He has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places. Lord, we just lift up our hands to You for whatever area we are believing in. And we ask You, God, to make us a people of faith, as well as a people of love. We thank You for the love that's in this body. And we thank You for 
teaching us about faith over the years. We thank You that we have stood against the abuses and we have stood by Your grace against cruel theology. And yet, Father, we don't want that to cause an overreaction where we, where we somehow uh, become fatalistic. We want to be a people of faith. A people who reach out to You in faith. Uh, believing You that You are a God of miracles. That You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the gifts are in full operation in these days. Father, we, uh, we refuse to leave that part of our heritage behind. And yet, we ask You, Lord, to continue to teach us. Continue to make us understand Your Word better and better and better. And especially this arena of faith. Help us to pray quickly when we're faced with an issue. Help us to pray first. Help us to have wisdom. Help us to, to uh, just be radical in our faith response and yet wise as we uh, seek Your will in situation. Help us to lean into each other and each other's discernment uh, as well as our own. So Father, we ask for a special grace gift in these two areas, exercising our muscle of faith in God and uh, also having this though and yet faith. We just love You, Lord, so much. Thank You for speaking to us. Thank You for the uh, resounding yes in our spirit to Your Word. We give You all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name.